Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 8. We're going to look at Matthew 8, 28 to 34 this morning. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible with you. But we've been going through the book of Matthew and looking at um, the account, Matthew's account of Jesus' life and, and prim- very much so his, uh, his public ministry over the past few weeks as it has gotten started. And as, as we've been going through the book over the last month or so, uh, we have seen Jesus' power and authority displayed over all different sorts of spheres of life. Um, in, in chapters 5 to 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, we didn't, we didn't go through that, but, but that's where he displays his authority and his power over truth. And, uh, and everybody recognized he, he taught as one with authority. And then, and then over and over again, it talks about how he was healing people, left and right, every disease, every person they brought to him, he healed, and he, and he demonstrated his power over the physical world. And then the passage right before this one, we're skipping over it, but it's a, a familiar one, where Jesus, uh, the, the crowds are gathering around him, so he gets into a boat with his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee, and then there's this massive, scary storm. And Jesus demonstrates his power over, over nature when he just rebukes the storm and it becomes calm in a moment. And now we see Jesus confront another sphere of life, um, the, the spiritual realm. And particularly Jesus confronts evil here. And he demonstrates his power over evil. So listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 8, verses 28 to 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at this passage to make some sense of it. We pray that your spirit would work to help us to see your truth, that your spirit would work to help us to respond to your truth, and that you would help us to trust in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, oftentimes, in in fictional stories at least, Evil is, is usually pretty obvious, isn't it? You know, it's uh, somebody's, you know, in, in Westerns, the, the, the bad guy, the evil guy had a black hat on, you know, in a lot of fantasy or, or other stories. If somebody's dressed all in black, it's a good sign that he's probably evil, you know, a la Darth Vader. Um, there's also, you know, the, 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 the cat in the lap petting, you know, that's, that's a sign that the person's probably evil. Um, Maybe sharp teeth is a good sign that they are evil. Um, and uh, lastly, if they have a, an evil laugh, that's a dead giveaway, right? The evil laugh is a dead giveaway of an evil person. Thank you. Um, 
The reality is, we live in the world, in the real world, evil isn't always as obvious. You know, it doesn't always announce itself with an evil laugh, an evil maniacal laugh, right? It's not always dressed in black, but we know for a fact and, and by experience, and as we look around our world, we know that evil is absolutely real. And uh, it, it, it completely impacts our world. It, it, it influences our world. You know, we, we see it on a large scale, even this past week. We've seen it as one leader leads a country to invade another and people are dying. Um, we, we see it as people are uh, mistreated and hurt by others simply because they are different. Um, we see it in, in, in racism and and all sorts of things like that, and so all sorts of injustice. We, we see it in school, you know, when one kid um, is cooler or stronger than others and they bully them, right? We see it in all sorts of ways. We see it in ways that we, don't, we can't understand when, when we, we see abuse, uh, when we see senseless killings and murder. We, we see evil all around us, and, and the question for us is, how are we to respond? What are we to do? Is there any hope? in the midst of a world that is so full of evil, where evil is so present. Um, and as I said before, this passage is a, a, a description of Jesus confronting evil. And as I said before, he's, he's demonstrated his power, his authority over all sorts of different fears of life, and here he confronts evil. Um, we have evil, in a, in, and this isn't you know, the, the subtle form of evil. This is actually pretty blatant evil, pretty obvious evil, right? These, these two men who are possessed by demons. I mean, if anybody perfectly represents evil, it's, it's demons, right? Um, demons are ones who, who exist in order to, in, in, in opposition to God, in order to frustrate, to try to frustrate God's purposes, um, in order to destroy what God has made to be good. That's what demons do. And that's really what evil is. I mean, what is evil? Evil is, is these things. It's, it's, it's anything that, that disrupts what God intends to be good. It's anything that fights against God's intentions. That's really what evil is at its core, at its essence. And, and we see the demons doing that in all sorts of ways here, don't we? You know, even when they first confront Jesus, they recognize him as the son of God. And they're not interested in being friends it's obvious that they're pitting themselves against him, their enemies. But what are they doing? What have they done in the lives of these men, in the life of the city? These men, they've, they've dehumanized these men, in a sense, right? These men are, are less than human as they're living in the, tomb, in the tombs, right? Where do they greet Jesus from? They come out of the tombs. They're living among the dead. They're not living life as, as you know, healthy human beings, right? And this is what the demons have done to them. They've, they've, the demons have, have terrorized them to a point that they, they cannot experience real relationships with other people. Um, they, they've, they've terrorized these men to the point that, that these men are fierce and violent, and, and they've disrupted the peace of the whole area, right? It says people can't go that way because these men are there possessed by demons, if you needed to go you know, in that direction, you would have to go around these guys. And I remember when I was a kid, there was always this house on the street, maybe it was true for you guys, where you know, it was like overgrown and kind of scary looking, and you always kind of like, if I was walking home, I would always like go quickly past that house. Um, this is that on a completely different level. 
you know? These guys would come out and terrorize the people. They couldn't even go near it. And so it disrupted the peace of the, of the region. And this is what these demons are doing, right? They're, they're destroying, they're, they're making God's good creation, um, they're, they're disrupting it, they're destroying it. They're destroying the people. And then Jesus confronts them. Jesus shows up and they meet him. And, and how do they respond to him? And, and in this passage, I think we, we learn a little bit about the nature of Jesus's power in the face of evil and how we should respond to his power, okay? Um, and so I just want to point out three things. One is that as you look at this passage, one thing that is clear is that Jesus's power in the face of evil is absolute. It's absolute, Think about the situation, the circumstances here. As I mentioned before, Jesus has been healing all sorts of people, and these crowds have been gathering, and there have been so many people seeking to come to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus wants to kind of step away, to kind of get away, in order, because there's so many crowds, he's, he's tired, right? And that's one of the reasons he gets in a boat with his disciples to come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That he's so tired, in fact, that when he gets in that boat, um, we didn't read this passage, but this, this storm comes upon them, and it is so violent that these seasoned fishermen that are with Jesus are scared. They're terrified for their lives. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's so tired. He's sleeping. He's exhausted from, from caring for all these people, from serving all these people. So Jesus is exhausted, and he gets to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and so you can imagine, Jesus is in a state where he is, you could say that he is as vulnerable as he's probably ever going to be. He's tired, he's weak, after, after like expending all of this energy and power to, to, to serve people. And so out of, out of any moment in his earthly life here, this would probably be the opportune time for a couple demons to ambush him and attack him and exercise their power over him. So Jesus, in his weariness, how does the situation go down? What happens? These guys don't try anything. The only thing they do is acknowledge Jesus' power. They acknowledge that Jesus has every right to judge them, that he's going to judge them. And the only thing they are left to do is beg. So Jesus, in his most vulnerable condition possible, in his weakness, in his, in his tiredness, is completely beyond the power of these guys, these demons. They can only beg to ask Jesus to, to kind of, in a sense, have mercy on them, to send them into the pigs. And this is because Jesus' power is absolute. It is absolute. There is no evil that is more powerful than him. There is no evil that can disrupt what he wants to do. As we think about the evil that exists in this world, none of it is stronger than him. He is able to do all that he wants, whenever he wants. And his plan is to eradicate all evil. And this is what gets hard, because as we look at our world, and, we, and we, if, we, you know, if we believe this, if we recognize that Jesus' power is absolute, then how come there is still so much evil around us? You know, how come people are dying in Ukraine? Why doesn't Jesus just solve it all right now? Why doesn't he fix it all right now? And, and that's the hard thing. We don't know. I can't give you a perfect answer to that question. But what we do know is that 
Jesus does have a timetable, that God has a timetable, that there is going to come a time when he does eradicate all evil. It will be all gone. And even the demons make reference to that here, right? When they say, have you come to torment us before the time? They realize that their time, that their days are numbered. Their time is coming. There is coming a time when Jesus will triumph over all demons, over all evil, and make everything right. And that's, I think, the thing that we need to cling to. We need to, to kind of, we need to hope in that, in the midst of the evil that we witness, in the midst of the evil that we experience. We need to seek to have patience and to, and to hold fast to God's promise that he's going to make all things right in the end. That this isn't all there is. We need to be confident that his his power is absolute. And we need to realize that, that the things that are going to solve the evil in this world is not my intellect and my plans. It's not our economy. It's not our military strength. None of those things can solve the evil that is in the world. It is only Jesus and his absolute power. And so he is the one we need to trust in. He is one we, he's the one we need to wait for. He is the one we need to hope in. Okay? His power is absolute. Um, but I think it's also important to notice how Jesus uses his power. His power is restorative. His power is restorative. He doesn't just use his power to defeat the demons. It serves a purpose. He uses his power to restore what is good. The, this point is kind of easy, I think, to overlook in Matthew. This, 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 this account is described in, in the book of Mark and the book of Luke as well. And you might be able to notice it a little bit more there. But because this passage, where we're really, Matthew is kind of focusing in on Jesus' interaction with the demons and then with the, 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 the town afterwards and, and the whole thing with the pigs and everything. Um, the, the, the guys, the demon-possessed men, kind of get lost a little bit in the story. Because what happens as a result of Jesus' confrontation with these demons? These men are set free. These men are restored to health. These men are given their humanity back as the demons are cast out. That is what Jesus' power accomplishes here. It doesn't just get rid of the demons, it restores the humanity of these men. And this is what I would say is the primary goal of, of Jesus' entire mission in our world. The reason Jesus came was to restore creation the reason Jesus came is to restore people, to make us more human, to make us, to, be, to, to enable us to become the, the human people that God created us to be. That is why Jesus came. And this begins and ends with our relationship with God. To be human is to know God and to be able to walk with him. To be human is to, to know that I am loved by God. To be human is to trust God. And see, this is the thing. Every single one of us have all turned away from him. We've all tried to live life on our own terms. Every single one of us. In all sorts of different ways. And, and, it, and it, it doesn't look as scary as these demon-possessed men's lives look, maybe. But every single one of us have tried to live life on our own terms rather than submitting to God and surrendering to him in all ways and all things. And the reason Jesus came, the reason Jesus exerted all of his power the reason Jesus died and rose from the dead 
is to restore us in relationship to God. That is the key thing that brings us back to humanity. That is the key thing that enables us to be human. And that is why Jesus came. And so if we want the fullness of becoming who God created us to be, it begins with surrendering to Jesus. It begins with trusting in him. It, began, it begins with, with, with relying on what he has done, relying on his power, relying on his sacrifice for us. Because his agenda with you and with me is to make us more human. And that brings me to the last point, which is the fact that Jesus' power here is scary. It's scary. Um, have you ever gone to the movies and uh, you watch the movie and it was just like, you, the, the movie ends and the credits roll and you were just like, what did I just watch? I have no idea what just happened. I, this passage kind of gives me those kind of vibes. Does, does it give you those kind of vibes? With the whole, you know, the, the, the demons begging to be sent into the pigs, and Jesus says, okay, go ahead. And then they go into the pigs, and these pigs just rush down the, the bank into the water, and there's, you know, this, this massive, like in, in, in um, one of the other Gospels that mentioned, there's like 2,000 pigs. <laughs> That's a lot of pigs. That's a lot of death. Um, and I'm just like, why? Why did Jesus you know, go along with these demons' requests to be sent into the pigs. You know, the, why, did, why did he allow all these pigs to die in the water? Um, it's just like, what on earth is going on? Again, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm probably not going to be able to give you a really good answer to this one. <laughs> because even after, like, thinking about it all week and studying it, I'm still just like, what did I just watch? What did I just read about? But this is the thing. I mean, w- one of the things that, that, it, that we see is, is the response of the pigs being sent into the, ocean, into the sea and dying and drowning there. We see, first of all, the herdsmen who are like, they, they run in fear. Can you imagine being the herdsmen, seeing this all happen in front of you? You know, they all know about these men who are possessed by demons. They all know about them. And then Jesus steps up and just, I don't know if they, they could even hear him talking to them or not, but all of a sudden, there's a distinct change in these men, and all of a sudden, all of their pigs rush, squealing, screaming into the sea and die. All because this guy just pulled up in his boat. Can you imagine how scary that might have been? And so they run. This is something otherworldly that is happening here. This is something supernatural that is happening here, and it's scary. And they run, and they tell, you know, all of the, the, the town, everybody, everybody, what had happened to the demon-possessed men, and, and what had happened with their pigs and everything. And then it says in, in verse 34 how the city responds. They come out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, what do they do? They beg him to leave. Jesus, you gotta, you gotta, you know, get back in your boat. This is weird. This is scary, what you've just done here. Why do they beg him to leave? Well, possibly it's because of this otherworldly thing that has happened. This is, this is a, an abnormal thing that has happened because of the power of Jesus that is displayed, right? But I think there also might be an element of it. These herdsmen have, you know, 
This is Gentile country. So first of all, these pigs are looked upon by Jewish people as, as dirty, as unclean animals. But, but for the Gentile region, you know, they, they were relying on these pigs for their economy. Um, and Jesus is disrupting their lives. Um, and so it's very possible, I think, that they're like, Jesus, you've got to leave before you do something else that's going to mess things up for us. I mean, I see it in myself as I read this. I get, I get obsessed. You know, why does Jesus do this with the pigs? I get so preoccupied with the pigs, with the loss of pigs, right, that I fail to recognize that, that pigs are more important, first of all, than these people. And also that these pigs, I mean, that, that, I mean, that people are more important than the pigs. I'm sorry. <laughs> but also that the presence of God is more important than these pigs, and these towns of the people of the city, what do they do? They choose their pigs over the presence of Jesus. They choose their pigs over the presence of God, who has clearly been displaying the fact that he is God, that he is their only hope, and they choose their pigs. And, and I think that is something that, that reflects my own heart. Honestly, that as I think about my life, there are a lot of times that I would pick my pigs over Jesus' presence. Because Jesus' presence makes demands upon me. Jesus' presence might require things to, to be weeded out of my life and for things to die in me so that I become more human. And that's scary. That's scary to think about the fact that... that um, Jesus ultimately has the right to make me somebody different than I am now, than, I, than I'm comfortable being. And so his power is scary because it, we need to come to terms with the fact that his power is absolute not only to deal with what is out there, all the evil that we see and that we abhor, but also the evil that is in us. The evil in us that prefers pigs to his presence. And it forces us to ask the question, and that's where I kind of want to leave us. I want you to think about this. What are the pigs in your life that you prefer over God's presence? Now, the pigs in and of themselves, they're not bad things. You know, the pigs are animals. They've been created by God. They're, they're part of God's good creation. And yet, if we cling to them above the presence of God, if, if we're more committed to, to these things, then I think Jesus would say they need to be cast into the water. What are the pigs in your life that you're more devoted to, that you're more loyal to, that you want more than the presence of Jesus? Maybe it is success in your career Maybe it is a certain vision of what your family should look like. Or maybe it's a, a certain person or a group of people liking you or being impressed by you. Maybe it's, it's a certain amount of money or the things that we have or comfort. There's all sorts of things that we might be clinging to or devoted to rather than just wanting what the one thing that will satisfy us, which is the presence of Jesus. I mean, it's a crime here, isn't it? That the people ask, they beg Jesus to leave. They beg him to leave. 
And as I said, the, the pigs are, would be looked upon by Jewish people as, as unclean things. So if you can imagine a Jewish person reading this, they would have been like, this is a tragedy that they're more upset about their pigs and that they're not eager to embrace Jesus. How is that reflected in our own hearts and our own lives? What pigs do you prefer above the presence of Jesus? Or, or do you recognize that, that Jesus, with all of his power, his power that is absolute, his power that, that can, the only thing that can truly restore us, that that is what we'll need, that that is what will satisfy us, no matter how scary it is, no matter how it might require us to change and die. Um, so many people make reference to this quote, but I'll make reference to it again, from the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, there's this scene, right, where um, the kids are, are all traveling to, to meet Aslan, the lion, the king of all the beasts, and they're talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are describing him to them, and the kids are like, he doesn't sound safe. He doesn't sound safe. Is he, is he quite safe? And they say, no, of course he's not safe, but he's good. But he's good. And that, I think, was what we see here. We see Jesus, the God-man, who is far from safe, but who is absolutely good. Will we run to him and allow him to embrace us and rest in his arms as we think about, as we're impacted by all of the evil that we see in this world? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage that is so hard to completely grasp. But we thank you for how it shows us a little bit more of who Jesus is. How it shows us that uh, Jesus, in the way that he used his power, um, wouldn't always necessarily make sense to us. But we do know that he's absolutely trustworthy, that you're absolutely trustworthy. Father, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us to identify those things in our lives that we are unwilling to give up and are, that are getting in the way of us resting in your presence and knowing your presence and knowing your love and goodness. Help us to identify those things and to weed them out that we might experience your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the